Amen. Good morning, Blackman. It is excellent to see you. If you are a guest with us, we're so happy that you are here with us this morning. My name is Brandon, and you are joining us in the third week of our series on sanctification called Becoming Like Jesus. We will be in Colossians 3 today. Uh, as you are turning there, I'm going to grab my table and kind of remind you where we've been in the series. So what we are seeing in, in this series is the reality that Jesus wants to rescue us and he wants to change us, right? And I don't have, I can't take the time every week to remind you of how awesome that is. So I'm hoping you're carrying like the he wants to change us being really, really great from week to week. Like it's a really beautiful thing. Jesus wants to save us and he wants to restore in us the image of Christ. He wants to remake us to restore righteousness, goodness, peace, love, on and on. And last week we discussed that we have a part to play in that transformation that God wants to do in us through Christ, right? What was our part to play? This is not rhetorical. I will stand here until someone answers correctly. What is our part to play in the transformation of sanctification? Lord. Thank the Lord. We are to obey. <laughs> so he's the Lord of the universe. He's the good father who also gave himself for us. And he is making us new. Will we obey him? And today we're, we're going to expand on that by looking at him like Jesus. And I read a, a chapter in a book recently by Kevin DeYoung that really helped me with this. He basically said contrary to maybe not how we think, but often contrary to how we live, that there's no single motivation for sanctification. There's no single thought, single tool, single way that works for us. We tend to find our favorite tool or our favorite incentive to help us obey. And then we live like that's all there is. And here's what I mean. Uh, some Christians primarily, uh, I have some props. They're making my own self laugh. Some Christians uh, primarily see duty as their motivation for sanctification. Right? Drill down into that discipline. And it's true. Like we looked very, very uh, uh, poignantly last week that this is a motivation for becoming like Jesus. This, our king has commands for us. Jesus said, remember we saw last week, Jesus said that we should obey. And when we have obeyed, no, we have only done our duty. That's Jesus's language. But of course, this is not the only thing that Jesus gives us. It's not the only tool. Duty is important, but God gives us so much more than just duty. God is trying to restore us like a 1950s ranch home with original plumbing and electricity. <laughs> so duty's a great tool, but it's not the only one. Uh, some people prefer the motivation of gratitude. Hold on. I got to have my power source, which I guess in this analogy is the Holy Spirit, but I didn't think too much about that. So, <laughs> hey, more powerful tool, I would say. Probably a more helpful tool than duty is 
Gratitude. And here's what that means. You, you immediately sort of resonate with this one. The king of the universe left his throne to be born into a manger. He lived a life of suffering to be perfect in my place, to be perfect in your place. The, the being than which no greater being could be conceived did that, then went to the cross, then was buried in a tomb, then rose from the dead so that we could have life and have life in abundance. Being grateful for that goes a long way towards helping us live like Jesus to experience being conformed into the image of Christ as Jesus. But again, that's only one tool. They're getting bigger a little bit. Oh, power source, yes. Listen, honestly, that should have been part of the sermon, but you don't have time to talk about everything. But if you try to use any of the tools you get on your own strength, good luck. Okay. This is the one that gets me. So there's no one tool. Some, prime, some people view justification as the motivation for sanctification. That's probably dangerous, so I'm trying to point it towards the wall. I don't gospel-centered. Sometimes, though, that can make me justification-centered as though the only powerful truth that we have in Jesus is that God sees us as Jesus. And he does. When God looks at you, if you have received the work of Jesus in your place, when God looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus every time. He says, perfect, justified. And as amazing as that is, the, the, the point of this author, Kevin DeYoung, is that we can't reduce the gospel to any single idea based on any single doctrine. We should never move away from the gospel. Instead, we should move deeper into the gospel. And what we do when we do that is we find a treasure trove of tools for our sanctification. DeYoung wrote this, There is no doubt that justification is fuel for sanctification, but it is not the only kind of fuel we, we will we only remind people of our acceptance before God, as beautiful as it is, we will flatten the contours of Scripture. And then he goes on to say, oh, look at this. Oh, you're so pro. Good job, guys. I have no problem acknowledging that sin is always an expression of unbelief, but there are a lot of promises. I, you, can disbelieve at any moment. Justification by grace alone through faith alone is not the only indicative that I can doubt. I can disbelieve God's promise to judge the wicked or his promise to come again or his promise to give me an inheritance or his promise to turn everything to my good. These are all precious promises, each one a possible remedy for indwelling sin. You get the idea? What he's saying is that the gospel isn't just one tool for the heart. It's the tool bag. This is not great. I'm not an artist. But inside of the gospel are countless strengths, motivations, promises, tools for becoming like Jesus. God wants to equip us and restore us through them. We are the 1950s ranch house with lead paint and asbestos. We are. The shortest explanation I've ever heard for the gospel is 
Jesus in my place. J.D. Greer said that. It's about the only way you can say the gospel in four words. How beautiful. Jesus in my place. Through the finished work of Jesus, he takes everything that we were, takes it away, and gives us everything that he is. Which means that when Jesus rose from the dead, he filled up the bag, so to speak. We don't have one tool. We have a treasury. My favorite sentence about sanctification is become who you already are in Christ. I believe it was Derwin Gray that said that. Christ makes us new and is making us new. But he gives us a multitude of motivation in the gospel for the work that he wants to do in us. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through Colossians chapter 3 because it's a famous treasure trove of gospel truth. And we're going to see multiple tools that God gives us as we walk with him toward new life, toward joy in Jesus, remembering that God wants to change you and he wants to equip you for that transformation in more ways than we'll figure out today. It's a lifetime of figuring out the treasures of incentives, of motives, of promises that God gives us. But we're going to begin with verse 1 of Colossians 3, and we're going to read quite a few verses again. Raise your hand if you're ready. Okay, 66%. Here we go. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, not on earth, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Hey, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones... Holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If any has grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. So God wants us to live a certain way. He wants to change us back into the original good for which we were intended. And it's so beautiful to notice again that he doesn't just have commands for us. He motivates us. It's a beautifully biblical truth that the gospel equips us to pursue Christlikeness, which is the thing that's the best for us anyway. 
So we're going to walk back through these pass- this passage a couple verses at a time or a verse at a time to see the tools that God gives us in our fight against sin and in our journey of being made anew in him. So there's going to be several of them, but I want you to just kind of get the concept of which these are examples. So remember first your heavenly seat. I'm not going to pull a tool out of the bag each time. Just, just they're all in there. Remember, it's in the bag. This is the first tool we see in Colossians 3. If you are a Christian, you have been rescued by the finished work of Jesus, then you are seated in heaven. Look again at verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, things of that place then, not on earthly things. This is amazing. Christians have been raised with Christ. Christ is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. So a tool for becoming like Jesus is the understanding that even though we are still Christians are in Christ, Christ is in heaven, and he wants our minds to be set on the things of heaven, not on the things that he has already raised us from. So my family used to live in California. Now we have been raised from California and seated in Tennessee. (laughs) And I understand, I understand, (laughs) I got to be careful, I have so many friends there. I understand that in this analogy, California is hell and that's not what I mean. (laughs) I'm not saying that California is wonderful and beautiful, but I did pay $6 for a gallon of gas when I lived in Huntington Beach and I paid $2.67 just this Friday morning. When I was in California, barbecue was an undeniably sobering experience. I couldn't stop talking about it to anybody that would listen in that entire state. I don't know if you've ever ever had Hawaiian barbecue, but it's very popular there. And Hawaiian barbecue is barely little more than backyard grilled chicken. Korean barbecue, hugely popular there. And it's more like cooking your own meat on a skillet. In fact, it is exactly that. It is cooking your own meat on a skillet that you pay for the privilege to do. Now, now, I'm seated in Middle Tennessee where barbecue means smoke, brisket, glory, right? That's the idea. I've been resurrected from California, (laughs) seated in Tennessee. Why would I set my, this is, so I'm joking around, but the point is true. Why would I set my mind on $6 gas? Why would I set my mind on soul-crushing property taxes? We won't get into that. I'm keeping on the light stuff. Why would I set my, my mind on smokeless meats masquerading as barbecue? <laughs> no, set your mind in the place where you have been seated. Jesus says, we have been resurrected from death and hell and seated now in heaven. It is our citizenship. Our heavenly seat is a tool that helps us live like the heavenly people we are by focusing our minds on a superior home and a superior king. Here's another tool in verse three, your hidden self. It's in the bag. It's already... I wish I had a bigger tool bag. This is the biggest one I have. It's, it's in the bag. Verse 3, for you died, 
And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember your hidden self. You don't just have an old home. You have an old you. Christian, you died when Jesus died. Isn't that amazing? You rose when Jesus rose for life. But your former life is hidden. And I don't know what all that means about your former life, but you do. It is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. Hebrews 8, 12 says, man, I'm doing a Weston Wax impression. <laughs> For... <laughs> It's not, it's a, you're doing a me impression one way or the other. For I will forgive their wrongdoing, God says, and I will never again remember their sins hidden. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What an amazing motivation to reject sin. All the ways all the heartbreaking ways that we rebelled against the Lord of the universe are hidden, removed, forgotten. We don't just leave California. It is as though we never were Californians. Forgive me, California. <laughs> I won't bring them up again. It's very beautiful. There's a famous example shared by a guy named St. Ambrose in the 300s. So he's been dead a while, and he knows how true this is about this motivation towards sanctification. He wrote, a certain youth left his home because of his love for a harlot and having subdued his love returned. Then one day meeting his old favorite and not speaking to her, she being surprised and supposing that he had not recognized her said, when they met again, it is I. But was his answer, I am not the former I. Christian, we are not the former we. Who you were is gone, hidden, buried. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a powerful tool for becoming like Jesus, all the ways that I'm gross, <laughs> all the ways that I fall short, all the ways that I failed are hidden with Christ in God. You don't need to think like where you used to live or act like who you used to be. Let's look at the next one. Your future glory it's in the gospel. It's already in there. This is in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Unreal. Guys, this is really unbelievable. Maybe we don't talk about this enough. Let's give it a couple minutes. Such an amazing motivation for becoming like Jesus. Paul is hinting at to these Colossians, that Jesus is going to return for his people, he is going to rule forever, and he is going to glorify his people and reign with them. Remember from week one of this series, we saw that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we're about. 
Those he foreknew, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glory. Way better. Good job, guys. He glorified. The word glory here in verse 4 means majesty. It means magnificence for us. That feels weird. We will, we will have Christ-likeness in majestic fullness. We will have magnificence. Just a gift. Here's your magnificence. It's in the bag, already set in stone. We'll have a glory that we cannot fathom now when we reign forever in the image of God. That changes how you wait for that future. Like if you know, if we, the tool is, I am one day going to be magnificently reigning with Christ forever. That's quite a promotion. Six or seven years ago in my career, there was about a two-year stretch where I was leading the marketing team for adult publishing at Lifeway, but I knew I had been tapped to lead the adult publishing team at Lifeway. And knowing that that was coming actually helped transform me. That's why they do it. Actually helped transform me into the publishing leader of adult Bible study. I wore shirts with buttons. (laughs) They don't fit me anymore. I prepared intensely for meetings. I, I didn't just go to meetings to represent marketing. Of course not. I went to have my mind transformed into the leader of Bible study publishing. I didn't want to just think about our promotional activity. I wanted to impact inventory. I wanted to understand publishing cycles. I wanted to know about author relationships, on and on. I knew that what awaited me was more magnificent, more glorious, and living in light of that helped shape me, helped change me into that. And I, I was just selling Bible studies. Just at the end of the day, was, we were selling Bible studies. Christians, we are awaiting the day set in stone when we will reign in glory with Christ forever. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. What a tool for our transformation, and it's already in the gospel. Let's look at another one. Oh, man, your wrath replacement is already in the bag. Do you think about it? Do you use it? Do you let it renew you? Let's continue reading in verse 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And again, pause. God gives us commands. That is a strong but gracious command to put to death the things that lead to death. Man, he's good. Put to death those things that lead to death. Last week we saw it was the word futility. Look, put to death the things that don't worth. Continue reading sexuality. Upon the dispurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now... Put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. So Paul is saying here, this is so, it's intense and it's amazing. Paul is saying that those whose earthly nature is not hidden in Christ with God 
will face the wrath of God for the very things we once were. God's wrath is coming against disobedience. And you once walked in those things. I once walked in those things. Goodness, why would we want to keep walking in those things? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.9. And be very clear on this as we hear the word of, when we hear about wrath, I don't like to say the word without this verse. For God did not appoint us to wrath. If you're in Christ, you are not appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we wake or sleep, we will live with him forever. So if you're Christian, your old self is hidden. The wrath you deserve in the necessity of God's wrath towards your sin and the beauty of Jesus taking the place of your sin. Why would you still live in ways that deserve the wrath of the God you love? Does that make sense? That is a tool of our sanctification. You have mercifully been worthy of wrath. Let's look at another one. In verse 9, we see your new self. Don't lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being, hey, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. This means that the gospel gives us an opportunity to live in light of the greater identity that Jesus has already given us. We get to live like who Jesus says we are, and in so doing, we become more like who Jesus says we are. Put on your new self. And there we saw again the theme of the series. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. God wants to give you your everything was very good back. And he asks you to put on your new self. Put on your new life in Christ. Actively live like who he died for you to be. So several months ago, I read a book called Atomic Habits. And one one of the concepts in the book made me think he just borrowed that from the Bible, perhaps even stole it. Because the author essentially writes about living from an identity rather than living for an identity. His point is that like piano players or fitness people are not born that way. You can decide to think from that identity. So take piano. Regardless of how much natural musical talent you might have, you can choose to live from the identity of a piano player. Piano players practice every day. I'm going to practice every day. Piano players learn theory. I'm a piano player. I'm going to learn theory. If you live from that identity long enough, you eventually are a piano player. Right? Fitness people. Anybody can think and act like fitness people. Fitness people, what do they do? They eat protein and vegetables. If I think of myself as a fitness person, I eat more protein and vegetables. They go to the gym in the morning. I'm going to think of myself as a fitness person, and I'm going to go to the gym in the morning. If you do that enough days in a row, you actually become the identity from which you were working. And long before the book Atomic Habits was published... 
Paul wrote to the Colossians, put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. As we talked about earlier in the series, you are new in Christ, legally justified. Put on your new life. Put it on. That means we think, I am a new life in Christ. What does a new life in Christ do? The new life in Christ wants to know the heart of the Father. I'm going to try to know the heart of the Father. The, the, the new life in Christ wants to obey the will of the Father. Ah, oh, I want to obey the will of the Father. On and on and on. Jesus gives us the identity from which we get to live, and in doing so, we become more like him. One more tool for you today. You have a loving father. It's in the bag. Pick up reading in verse 12. Oh, it's so good. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, we saw in in week one, he chose us for adoption. Holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, beautiful motivation for sanctification. You have a loving God who chose you to be a part of his family, who adopted you. He calls you holy. He says you are dearly loved. He proves at the cross that you are dearly loved. The God of the universe loves you to death and beyond. And that loving, good father says, be like me. My oldest daughter has this new thing. She's only been doing it for a few weeks where she looks at me so earnestly. I love it so much. And says, Daddy! Like, she's like, Daddy, you have the best face. She, and every time it's the same thing, I love it so much. It's the perfect daddy face. <laughs> and it usually comes with this big squeeze hug. Oh, I can't do it exactly like her because I'm not a middle school girl. But it's awesome. She knows I love her and she feels loved. And I can tell you that because... That makes her happy. She wants to make me happy. And I'm so imperfect as a dad. I get a few things right. And my daughter is delighted to be my daughter. And she wants to live in a way that I want her to live. I see it every day in my house as a broken man. But therefore, as God's chosen kids... Holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another. We are loved by a perfect father, so we want to be like him. We put on his love. We are forgiven and we forgive. We are united with God and we live in unity with one another. All, all in all. On and on it goes. And guys, this is just some of it. All of that is in Christ. It is in the gospel for us. But there's so much more. Because remember, just like last week, we looked at all of the commands of God in one chapter of the Bible. These are the gifts, the motivations, the tools of Christlikeness in just one chapter. What do we do with all this? How do we know? This is really an important question if you want to start practically thinking about this. How do we know? How do we understand? How do we live with all of the tools of restoration that God puts in our gospel bag? 
I think the very next verse helps us, as it often does in God's word. Verse 16 of Colossians 3 says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. I read a commentator this week that said, To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is to let it have ample room in your heart or remain as a rich treasure in your heart. Thus, we are to submit to the demands of the Christian message and listen, and let it become so deeply implanted within us as to control all of our thinking. We are implications that we become naturally fluent in it. We're to treasure the word in our hearts and over time, all the glorious gospel and its implication, it renews us, it transforms our minds it, it happens over time. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly every morning, maybe also at lunch, all throughout the day. Let the message of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Oh, I didn't realize I had that tool. I wonder how I use that. Oh, I didn't realize I was supposed to think that way. Oh my gosh, look at what happens when I think that way. Oh my goodness, it's dwelling in me richly. And over the course of time, you find the bottomlessness of the bag. If we finish by thinking of these tools more literally, like the actual, like what they were designed for. That's a, probably a message for my daughter. But I must confess that I don't even know how to use many of the tools in my garage. If you think I'm a tool guy today because I brought some, nope. I bought some. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I do not know what this is or how to use it. Great. I now know it's an oscillating saw. I know what oscillating means, so I can intuit the result. But I'm now certain I'm missing a piece. <laughs> this is part of an oscillating saw is what I'm coming to realize right now. And that's my point. I own, can't use them. But my brother-in-law, who's here today, is a house flipper and a construction manager, and I guarantee he knows effortlessly at this point what each tool in my bag and everything else in my garage does and how to use it. The tools of his trade have dwelled in him richly for so long that it's probably second nature. He grabs what he needs. He uses it. Eventually, the 1950 ranch house with original plumbing and electricity is beautiful. Actually, I've seen him do it. Maybe not with a ranch house, but... It's made new. If my brother-in-law runs into a building problem, he knows what he needs. And slowly and steadily, the house is transformed. In contrast, I don't even know what I have. I don't know the tools I own or how to use them. I call Brian. And... To be very clear, I'm not all that concerned with what kind of handyman you are. But what kind of Christian will you be? Will you know and treasure and use the cross-bought motivations of Christ-likeness? 
I, it's so dumb to think of them as tools right now, but God died to fill the bag so that he could restore to you what you lost. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. And I want to finish with one last point. Because the tools are yours either way. These are mine right now in my garage, whether I ever learned their names or how they might help my life. The promises are for you. The gift is for you. Jesus never asked anybody to buy the tool. If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You don't have to die for the bag. <laughs> You don't have to work for the bag. Jesus did it. God wants to give you his gifts, his motivations, his incentives, his mind, his action. And then he wants to use them to conform you into the image for which you were originally designed. What a good God. What a good God. We're going to pray now, and as we pray, what I want you to ask today is, how does God want to lead you this week to let the message of Christ dwell in you richly? There may be something that jumped out to you today that is like, man, I know God wants to change how I think or the change that I act in light of that particular motivation that is already within the gospel that he has secured for me in Christ. Beyond that, how do you live in such a way that helps you know the tools of your trade? That helps you effortlessly sometimes, with great effort other times, know what you have at your disposal, know who you are in him and how to respond. And if if our, if our pastors and prayer team can pray with you in any way about this right now, we would love to. Otherwise, we're going to stand here and sing at you. And I don't know the words without looking at the screen. So I'll just stand there and stare at you. So, so let, us pray. let us pray with you. Let us be praying for one another this week that the word of Christ, the message of Christ, will dwell in us richly. Father, you give us so many good gifts. <laughs> we only looked at a few. We, we could never... Never look at them all. It's an inexhaustible supply. I pray that our hearts would be grateful. I pray, Jesus, that we would see you as the great sacrifice who secures our rescue and is securing our joy. God, would we long for the day when we are with you and glorified in you and, and reigning beside you forever. Will you make us those people now in Jesus' name? Will you let us live in your kingdom now in Jesus' name? Will you let us live as your becoming whole children now in Jesus' name and help us to know what you have given us and how you want to lead us to transform us into the image of Christ? In his name we pray. Amen.